At the very end of 2019, we heard our first news report from Wuhan, China, about a strange contagious respiratory disease we now know as coronavirus or COVID-19. By January 11th, the first known death from this disease was recorded in China. By the end of January, China had restricted Wuhan from the rest of the country. Our president restricted travel to China, and we began to hear reports of COVID-19 spreading to Iran, Italy, South Korea, and Japan. By February, it had begun to impact Europe. And by early March, our president restricted travel from Europe. In a whirlwind of events, we have seen our mayor, governor, and president issue multiple orders, culminating with our current situation, requiring us to shelter in place. There have been over 1.6 million known cases and 97,000 deaths worldwide. Despite the heroic efforts of our doctors and nurses, there are over 469,000 cases and 16,500 deaths in the United States. Our economy is struggling. The markets are volatile. In March, we lost over 701,000 jobs, with surely more job losses to come. We have seen restaurants, schools, and businesses close, while others operate in a very limited scale. Our favorite pastimes of eating out, traveling, watching pro basketball, baseball, March Madness, the Masters, our kids playing sports have all come to a halt. Seniors in high school and college will experience totally different graduations. In some way, all of us have been greatly impacted, leaving many to wonder where is God. You might be asking the question today, where is God? How could he let this happen? Isn't he supposed to be in control? As I considered these questions and read the accounts in the gospels of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I realized that we're in an eerily, eerily similar position that they were in his followers after his death. They faced great uncertainties. To take a step back, the Hebrew day consisted, like a Hebrew calendar consisted, their day started at sundown and ended the following day at sundown. So at like 8.01 p.m. to 8 p.m. the next day was what they considered a day. And so after being tried all night, Jesus is sentenced to be crucified in what we would call the morning according to Mark's gospel, around 9 a.m. And at noon, darkness fell over the whole area. And then he gives up his spirit and cries, why have you forsaken me? And dies at about 3 p.m. on Friday. For his followers, they're in utter confusion and despair. I mean, think for a minute that when the persecution first started, it said that most had scattered, only a few stayed with him. And that he had told them that he came to set the captives free, quoting Isaiah 61 in the temple, that that is said in Luke 4, that he was there to set the captives free and heal the brokenhearted. And they saw him heal many from leprosy. He restored sight. He gave others the ability to walk and speak who had been lame and mute. He fed thousands miraculously. He raised Lazarus from the dead and a little girl and the widow's son in name. He was the answer, the chosen one, the Messiah. And he had backed it up. They had seen him do so many things, including walking on water. And yet he died. So from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m., 
his followers were running for their lives and hiding. Just imagine for a minute their Saturday and what they were thinking. Here's the one who proclaimed he was the Messiah, and now he's gone. In the last week, they had faced so much change that Palm Sunday, he announced, you know, announced that he was the Messiah riding into Jerusalem. And then on Saturday, less than a week later, he's crucified and gone. In some ways, this is similar to where we are today. Things have changed so quickly for us in the last 30 days. A roaring market has stopped and is now volatile. Uncertainty in our future, fears creeping in that we never considered before. In that time, the enemy, the devil, thought he had won. This was the darkest moment as Christ faced the penalty for all of our sins. And yet the most hopeless moment was about to become the moment of eternal hope. According to John's gospel, his last words, actually his last word, his last words are, it is finished as we record it. But in the original language, it's to telestay, one word, which means it is finished. It also means in their minds, paid in full. See, to telestay would be stamped on business accounts of people whose bills had been paid. It was like a stamp that said it was paid in full. And so this is Jesus' last words to say to those who are listening and to have recorded for all time, it's paid in full, it's done. That's what it means by it is finished, that he had settled our account with God. So we gather to celebrate today because we now know what happened on Sunday morning. Let me read for you from John 20, verses 11 through 16. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus' body had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. With that one word, Jesus announced his resurrection to Mary, to the world, and to us. He would, in John 2, Jesus was upset that dishonest trade was happening in the temple. And he overturned all the tables. You might remember that story. He's questioned by Jewish leaders at that time who said, what authority do you have to do this? Show us a sign. And his reply was to tear down this temple and I rebuild it. And they thought he was crazy because it took him 46 years to build the temple. But what Jesus was referring to was his body. And in this moment, when he says, Mary, he has in fact, done what he said he would do in John 2. He has rebuilt the temple. We now know in the midst of all the questions that God was at work conquering death and our enemy on that Saturday. This morning, I read in Psalm 124, this is Psalm 124.1. It says, what if the Lord had not been on our side? And what I want to tell you is based on what happened with Christ in his resurrection, there can no longer be an if through his incarnation coming to earth and his death where he paid for our sins, which is love defined as he defined it. 
and then his resurrection, we can now know we're never alone, whether we're in the hospital or quarantined, whether we face quiet streets or vacant schools, no matter how much we miss our friends, we can know that not if he's with us, but that he is with us. What was he doing? Jesus was changing everything. We can understand what John and Peter understood when they saw his empty tomb, that the sacrifice for our sins was him and that he made us right with God. Now we know that when we die, our bodies may be put in the ground, but our spirits, the essence of who we are, go to be in his presence. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 5 and John 14. For today, and the uncertainties that we face in the midst of COVID-19, the economic concerns, and all of our uncertainty, because of what Jesus did in that moment, we can have confidence in this moment and know that God is at work. We can know that he's near to us in our hardest time, as it says in Psalm 23, 4, that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't be afraid because we know that he is with us. And in Psalm 16, 8, 16, 8, it says that we're not alone or abandoned, but that he's always near us. And Romans 8, 28 tells us that he's always working all things together for our good. See, we have seen him take the worst thing in his crucifixion and make it the best thing in his resurrection. So what does his resurrection mean for us? Well, I wanna share five things with you that, we, that make a difference for me and I think for you based on what Christ has done. The first thing is this, death is not the end. Because of what Jesus has done and our belief in him, we will live. Death is not an end, it's a door. We no longer have to fear sin and death as it talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58, where it's kind of that famous passage that says, oh death, where's your sting? Those things have been conquered by Jesus' triumph over death. 2 Corinthians 5, 4, which I just mentioned, talks about our dying bodies being replaced by our heavenly bodies. We'll talk about this more in our series, in our series What's After ATX. But I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 4, where it talks about that death is swallowed up by life. And that's what will happen for us. And so death is not the end for us. The second thing that we can know is what Jesus is doing now. He's on his throne. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, that same chapter I was just talking about earlier in verses 25 through 27, says that Christ is now on his throne, bringing all things under him, under his subjection, under his feet. He is reigning. His reign is on the increase and it will never decrease. The other thing we can know is that he is before the Father pleading for us. Romans 8.34, one of my favorite verses, talks about that that's where Christ is now, is that he's before the Father pleading for us on our behalf. In Hebrews 4 and 10, in both of those chapters, it talks about how we can go into his presence and so that we know that he and the Father are together and that we have access to him based on what he's done for us. The third thing that we can know is that we have all the grace we need. We have received his grace. That's a fact. And that simply means when I talk about grace, what I mean by that is that we're gonna get something we haven't earned because it's been given to us. And because we have that future grace, we have all we need for today. 
Paul talks about this in Philippians 4, being content in any circumstance. And that certainly applies to us now, whether we're isolated or sheltering in place or whether we're out amongst all of our friends, whether we're certain about our future or uncertain, we can find contentment because of the grace that he's given us. And we can remember that this isn't it, that what we see around us now isn't the end of the story, but that we have an opportunity to be in heaven and live forever with him. So the fourth thing that we can know from his resurrection is that it motivates us to do the right thing. Galatians 2.20 talks about that my old self has been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And to live for his purposes so that I can give my life for him. In football, we talk to the football players up at Anderson. I hear the coaches talk about leaving it all out on the field. We can live our lives that way for the sake of Christ because we know our future is secure with him. I feel like this is a tripping point for many. And I want to say to the kids and students that when I was your age, this was the thing I struggled with because I had things that I wanted to do and I wanted to accomplish. And I was afraid if I sold out for Christ that I wouldn't get to do those things. And what I want to tell you is the truth that Jesus shared in Luke 12, 32, when he said, don't be afraid, little flock, for it pleases your father to give you the kingdom. And the example I'll give you is this. I had a job that I really liked and enjoyed doing. And this is just my story. And many of you have heard it. And some of you may be rolling your eyes because you've heard it before. But I'm able to do things now that I didn't even know that I would love to do, like being a chaplain for a football team or working with uh, young life leaders and kids in their 20s. And so I will say that it wasn't an easy transition. But I also tell you, and I think your parents will affirm this, nothing in life is easy. Whether you choose to go God's way or your own way, life is hard. And so I just want to encourage you that we can do the right thing because we know our future is secure in him. Psalm 23, one and two, talk about looking to the Lord and keeping my eyes on him. And this is a way that we can know the right thing to do. And then there's a line in there that says, like a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest indication. Or I would say, like, I keep my eye on Celia, right, right Celia, for the slightest indication. Here's a quote from F.B. Meyer that talks about this. Keep your eye on the pierced hand, child of God. Watch for the smallest indication. Wait patiently until it gives some sign. We have too long acted our own initiative. Let us wait on our exalted Lord for the indication of his will. Let his least gesture be our law. One day we shall follow the direction of our eyes. Whilst we gaze, we shall be changed. And as we are changed, we shall arise to sit with him on his throne. See, friends, everything is paid for. We live for him. Heaven is our destination. This is what it looks like to leave it all in the field. Remember, it pleases our Father to give us the kingdom. So the last thing I want to share with you that we can know or that we can apply to our lives based on his resurrection is this, is we can always be thankful. I start many of my mornings just thanking the Lord for life and breath, for my wife, and children, for what he's led me through, what he's protected me from. And as I begin to think through those things and thank him for his grace and his mercy, you know, your list may look different than that. 
But one thing your list can have if you're trusting him with your life is this, is that we will live with him forever based on what Christ did, not only on the cross, but also in his resurrection. And we will have a time where we live without tears or pain or sorrow and we'll no longer have to say goodbye to our friends and family because we'll be with them and with him forever. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we all get this if we trust him. And so for this, we can always be thankful. Let me say this. If you haven't ever trusted Christ and just invited him into your life, so we say trusted Christ with your life or invited him in, and if you're not familiar with what that is, it's just simply asking the Lord to come into your heart. And this isn't like a magic formula that happens or a, a perfect question that you have to ask. It's just the beginning of a relationship. But God in his goodness, in the moment that we invite him in, sanctifies us in all the things that it promises, us being his children, heirs, and having an inheritance with him and being a part of his inheritance. All of those things we get in a moment. But what happens is, we begin, this is just the beginning of a journey. I just want to invite you, if you've never done that, to invite him in and begin that journey. And what you'll find is as you walk with him and as you follow him, he'll begin to make you look more and more like him, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Today could be the day that you begin that. And for those of you who are already on that journey, I just want to encourage you that because of his resurrection, we have the opportunity to know that death is not the end and that we know what Christ is doing right now and that we have all the grace we need to do whatever he's asked us to do, to go through whatever circumstances we're going through. This should motivate us to do the right thing and give us the opportunity to always be thankful. So I wanna give you guys a few questions for discussion. I wanna say the first question is this, what's the most significant or compelling I'm sorry, what is most significant or compelling about Jesus' resurrection for you? Read that again. What is most significant or compelling about Jesus' resurrection for you? Second question is this. Of the five things I shared about his resurrection, which one offers you the most comfort? Share that with your family and friends that you're gathered with today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for how you love us and what you've done for us. We just want to say thank you. Lord, I pray for any who are considering a relationship with you that that would happen today. And for those of us who've begun that journey, Lord, that we would take a moment to thank you for what you've done for us. Our circumstances right now are not what we would choose. And we didn't see them coming, but we know that we can trust you. And we know based on how you walked your followers through your crucifixion, that you will walk us through this time. We lift up doctors and nurses and families that have been impacted by coronavirus and other families that have other circumstances going on. We lift them all up to you. We pray that your grace and peace and presence would surround them. We're thankful for how you love us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.